Welcome to How We Run, a podcast where we examine how nonprofits become successful. I'm Trent Stan, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lapacher, founder of Good Ways, Inc. Today, we're talking about virtual events, which I know that you don't like to see a virtual event that is just an in-person event put to a live stream. You don't want to see a two-hour live stream with speeches and stories and a band playing. That's correct. That's exactly <laughs> what I don't like to hear. But let's be honest, the most important thing that you said there was two-hour event. I have no interest in sitting in front of my screen, no matter how interesting the topic might be for two hours. And I realized that good organizations have figured out a way to adapt and change their programming and change their gala structure for the new reality of us all being tired in front of our screens. Yeah, that's right. So today we have Alexis Madrid and Amanda Willems from The Painted Turtle, who did a virtual event. This is their first time doing one last year, and it raised $450,000. I'm obsessed with this for a variety of reasons, <laughs> the, the not the least of which is I want to know what the heck a painted turtle is. But yeah, no, I what exactly is a camp-a-thon? And how do you raise that kind of money? And did you figure out with what they did was replicable for other organizations in any way? What yeah. So, so painted turtle is a camp for kids with medical conditions where they can go and just be free at camp under some very good supervision and support. And it's a great, it's a great organization. They raise a lot of money through events where they can bring their funders and their donors to camp, to experience camp. So last year when everything was shut down and they were doing camp virtually, they were like, what are we going to do with our event fundraising if we can't anymore. So Campathon was something they created, which was basically a 24-hour period of camp content that they did on Giving Tuesday. And then they were very smart. So here's what I think is replicable to your question. They were really smart about activating their corporate and foundation sponsors around this event. It's fascinating to me because one of the reasons why corporate and foundation leaders often give to organizations, let's be honest, is that they're able to create high quality visuals. They're able to put their CEO with a kid. They're able to put one of their major funders out there into the camp setting where you can see them doing good work in effect. And so I'm, I'm curious how, how Painted Turtle was able to satisfy that kind of narcissistic view of fundraising and giving. I think for them, it was really about creating a whole day of stuff. I think the thing to listen to in this interview is that fact that they weren't sure what they were going to do. They just knew they had to do something online and how they worked backwards, figured out the date. And then as it started to come together, they started to add on more and more things and let it snowball into a much bigger event. So it's cool to listen to. And I think the lesson here is plans are great, but also at some point you just have to start reaching out and doing. That's super cool that they were able to adjust. I'd be curious to hear what it looks like moving forward. Yeah, I think it changed a lot for them. So let's take a listen. My name is Alexis Madrid. I am the Director of Development at the Painted Turtle. I've been here about 12 years and the Painted Turtle 
is one of Paul Newman's medical specialty camps. Um, we are one of 16 throughout the world. We were the first on the West Coast and started our first uh, spring in 2004. Uh, since then, we've served over 80,000 campers and family members through illness-specific summer sessions, as well as spring and fall family weekends where the entire family can come to camp. Um, we have traditional camp activities from horseback riding, fishing, arts and crafts. Everything we do is free of charge to campers and family members. That is what makes fundraising so important is to ensure we can provide these experiences. And lastly, I would add, we have a hospital outreach program called Outpost. So we go to 22 hospitals and clinics throughout California to bring camp to them in playrooms or in during bedside visits. Amanda, will you introduce yourself and tell us what you do at the organization? Yes. Thank you, Julie. I'm the events manager at the Fugit Turtle. I have been involved with camp in various ways. Um, since about 2012, I started as a summer cabin counselor. I flew out from Southern Ontario thinking that I would go for one summer placement and I fell in love with it. And now over eight years later, here I am and in various roles throughout the organization. Yeah, that's a great segue into the first question of you're the events person. It was really hard to do events last year. So like, so probably January, February, March kind of felt like, okay, I'm going to do this plan. And then what happened? Um, then our entire calendar of planning and our blueprint kind of went out the window and we had to learn to be okay with that. And I feel like that was the, the biggest step in any of it was knowing that it was going to look entirely different than what we had expected. And I think I would say for the first time was definitely a big shift, but it also allowed us, it kind of forced us to, to think outside the box. And so I definitely don't think we would have ever come to the event that we did if we hadn't have been in this position to completely shift our current path and maybe what we were used to every year. I think it definitely never would have come to fruition because it never would have been a requirement to. Tell me what you had planned for the calendar in terms of donors. What was the thought process of, oh, we'll do a spring appeal. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Did you have that set out? Yeah, I would say we were fortunate in that one of our most major events, Bingo, had we snuck it in. We were able to hold it in person. And so what our calendar looked like thereafter included like the LA Marathon, which was a peer-to-peer -peer fundraiser for us, as well as what would have been our largest event um, and something we had just done for the first time the year before, which was our Harvest Moon concert at camp in person in 2019. So that was in our head in terms of how do we continue that momentum? Uh, it was very successful in terms of sponsorships, um, VIP ticket buyers, general ticket buyers. And so we were trying to figure out how we create an experience and an event that could create some continuity for them. As a team and, you know, throughout staff, throughout different departments as well, we'd sit in on different events and it didn't even have to be a virtual fundraiser, it could just be any kind of virtual event. And then we would share what we liked, what we didn't like, what was engaging, what made it feel slow moving, like anything like that. The more that we started participating in different events, I think the more we then were realizing that events that we were sharing feedback on, they were also similar. 
Um, what were your takeaways from the event? I think the biggest thing, and Alexis had touched on it as well, is that we wanted to keep consistency amongst donors. And so, you know, for different events that they anticipate happening or groups of donors that are used to coming together, we wanted it to facilitate that still. But at the same time, I think what we discovered going along in the planning is that as much as we wanted things to be consistent, we also were given the opportunity to showcase different parts of our programming or things like that that typically donors would be able to see. Do you like what? Can you give an example of that? The Outpost program, because, you know, Outpost is going in and out of hospital, the clinics and dialysis centers, they're not able to just take a group of people. In. You know, they have a couple of volunteers go with them each visit. But in this sense, we had just wrapped up this new outpost video and we could showcase that and have a camper speak to it. And there was just so much that we could show without there being a geographical barrier that there typically is. And we could bring donors from different parts of the country and the world actually together for the first time. Yeah. When you were watching these other events, we'll get into the details of what you ended up doing in a minute, but you made a choice. What persuaded you to not do a live event? I think for us, we had a lot of research to do and we didn't have very much experience with live tools and live technology. And so in watching some of our sister camps and other organizations, you know, we didn't want to risk um, being live and just flubbing for not having the right experience to know and manage. What we did learn from one of our sister camps is it's a stressful thing to take on to begin with, a, a production like they did, like we were attempting to do, and that having it pre-recorded really gave us that confidence in the sense of what we wanted to show would be shown. There wouldn't be any glitches or if someone's internet wasn't working, you know, we had many people involved and were bouncing back and forth um, from different videos to event MCs and hosts. And so pretty early on and through some research that Amanda and our communications team did, we honed in on technology and the pros to being pre-recorded far exceeded, uh, I guess, our comfort level um, with being live. And so we are very unintentional, and Amanda can speak to this, about trying to make it seem live and trying to make it seem that the, the banter or things happening were happening in real time. So let's talk about how you came up with the idea. So where did you start with this event? What came first? Was it the date? Was it the concept or was it something else? Obviously, the date definitely was not the first one. Um, we do <laughs> like it. You're both laughing. No one will see how hard you laughed. We'll, do, uh, we'll laugh so that people can still hear it and know that <laughs> they are not the only ones if they have to um, reschedule dates along the way. But obviously, the idea was definitely there first. And it was such a broad idea when we started with it. Tell us the big concept that you had. The big concept was having it be something different um, that that we maybe hadn't even seen anywhere yet. And I think, you know, Alexis had said that. And so we wanted something to stand out and something to be different. And so Campathon came about as, honestly, I think it was that there were so many different aspects that we were like, we could highlight this area of camp, like, oh, but we could also highlight this. And all of a sudden we were like, well, we don't really need to only do one or the other. Like it's virtual. We know we're not going to have people coming on site for a 13 hour visit or things like that. We're like, we're virtual. People can be at home, be in the comfort 
of the ring space. And so it was so broad in the sense that we really could do anything with it. And we had so many ideas that was like, let's just make a full day in bed and something that can keep going. Okay. So your idea was Campathon and it was a 24 hour fundraiser, right? Correct. That happened on what special day? Giving Tuesday, which is a crowded day. And I have to say, when I first heard about this, I was like, that's risky. At first, you know, we had talked about it of, do we want Campathon to be its own day? Because if we are, are looking at, you know, four, six, eight hours, whatever it was going to end up being, does it overlap with something or do we give it the space to be its own thing? And I think because it was a completely new event that we were putting up there, we felt comfortable pairing it up with a day that was already known throughout the community and that we would already have awareness for that day. You know, people are coming to the page or they're looking to give on that day as it is. So what could we do to enhance that and stand out? Because so you knew your donors were coming looking for you on Giving Tuesday. So you're going to give them something. Yes. yes. That's very smart. And it ended up being a smart move because I actually think that, well, you certainly couldn't have done it later. Right. Right. It was kind of the last day, especially how last year ended up finishing, which was in a in a ball of fire. Right. Any events I saw after Giving Tuesday kind of were struggling to get attention. Do you feel that way, too? Yes. I mean, you know, another part of it, as we kept doing our research and trying to figure out what our backwards timeline looked like before you knew it, August was too soon. September was too soon. And so as we kept on feeling like that, we're like, okay, what is the latest we can do it? As Amanda said, Giving Tuesday is really a strong day for us in terms of people waiting to give till that day and being a part of it. We've always had a matching gift tied with Giving Tuesday. So they like that matching component. And and similarly, you know, Harvest Moon was an event in the fall. And so again, trying to capitalize on that fall period was really important. Um, I think also, and maybe it's more just of a personal feeling, but I would say I felt this in calls with donors, you know, Giving Tuesday happening right after Thanksgiving, it being the year of COVID, people were very grateful for where they were at personally. Um, And I think through that reflecting and being grateful and seeing the work that we had done throughout the year um, was this cumulative feeling of gratitude that I think we were able to harness during that period. But I would agree, Julie. I mean, once we got into the rest of December, I just think it was it would have been really hard for us to, along with other mailed end of year appeals that we were doing, kind of end of your giving, follow-up things along those lines, it provided the the right separation for us for some of our different initiatives. For us, Giving Tuesday really spoke to us and luckily, I think, worked out well. So when did you start planning this event? When when are we talking here? You did a little research. Did you start, I'm sure you're doing research as you're planning, but yes. The research would have started this summer and research even at that point being just participating in different virtual events or hearing from family, friends, coworkers, anyone that had participated in virtual events, like what were their thoughts? And so that, that in itself was a whole, you know, first piece because there's so many different ideas that are there and there's wonderful ideas that are out there. And so once we had then decided on Campathon, that's when more like the detailed research started and that being how are we going to execute it? So tech-wise, like how would we get it out there? Like Alexis had spoke to, do we want to do it 
live on film or pre-recorded. And all of that in itself has these micro steps that you wouldn't necessarily think of until you go to plan it and put it together. And I mean, the, I swear, like the run of show had a run of show. And there were all of these subcategories to get it out there successfully that it just, it was a lot of research happening at the same time in different aspects. Break that down for me. What are the, what are the pieces that had to come into place to get this off the ground? Because you did not create a 24-hour video. How long was the actual video? We probably had close to two hours of actual video content. We were able to use videos that we had from our summer programming, the camp at home that we did with campers and families and children in clinics. We were able to use some of that in between our main segments throughout the day. So you have about two hours of a video to make. So the first, is this the first piece you start working on is the, the video content? No, Alexis. No, I've, I would say, you know, we're a, a small but mighty team. And so each of us kind of, Amanda was a great leader in kind of delegating to each of us our responsibilities. And so, you know, while communications and Amanda was working on technology and the way in which we were going to deliver it, you know, so you that, started thinking about distribution first. Yeah, of distribution like, yeah. so that we didn't get too far down the line and say, this isn't going to work. And we have all these videos and they're on Vimeo or YouTube or, you know, and then does this work with Restream, which was the tool we were using to push it out. And, you know, we learned it wouldn't push out to certain social media channels like an Instagram, but it would on Facebook. But then all these variables came about and it's like trying to shoot a, a moving target, you know? Yeah, so but I love that you start with distribution. When you start with distribution, what you're doing is you're putting your audience first, right? You're saying, how will my audience receive this? And so what I'm hearing from you is you wanted them to be able to access your content all day. I'm using your quotes because yeah. it's not really all day. <laughs> um, but, they, but that they could get it all day on multiple platforms, right? So you're, you're starting with that and you chose to use Restream, which is a powerful tool because you can schedule a video to launch at a certain time and it will go out to all channels. It's a nice, did you yeah. look at anything else? I guess I would say there's a few of the different social media channels like Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, ones like that, that we are all on, but that we found needed an additional tool through Restream in order to be able to push it out that did add an extra step compared to just pushing it out to YouTube, to our website page, to Facebook. And so from that, because we also were limited on time, we didn't want to have to spend more time than necessary to make the event even bigger than maybe what we could handle in the amount of time that we had. And so we decided, okay, we know that we can put it out on these three different platforms at the same time. We're not able to do it on, you know, maybe A, B, and C platforms at this time, but we can still use those channels to promote watching the video somewhere else. And so we still made sure that we used those channels that we had. So on Instagram, we had a post 10 minutes before each of our five daytime segments that said, don't forget, you know, the kickoff with Danny DeVito and Herb Alpert at 11 a.m., like tune in and here's the link in bio. And so it maybe looked a little bit different than what we had initially hoped for. But also, you know, we were flexible in that our main event is just getting it out to our entire community and how can reach everyone on these different platforms. And it didn't need to be the exact same way on every platform. We just wanted to put it out there that it's happening. Awesome. 
So you, I think your main channels were, it was Facebook and your website and YouTube, right? Correct. Those were the main places to find it. And that your other social channels pushed people towards your website, right? That's Correct. Kind of, yeah, it was home base. That was another thing we grappled with and, and learned is we wanted only one place, you know, that there could be different channels, but, you know, having one place where that's where they could go to watch, that's where they could go to give, that's where they could go to comment and interact with other people and, and not kind of needing to go to different places to interact in, in that way. And so, you know, simultaneously, while we're talking about how it's going to be distributed, we were also talking about like, what is the giving page and the platform we should be using? Um, for us, we typically use Classy um, for our peer-to-peer -peer and event um, tools. But one thing we were exploring and reading was text to give. Having the ability to do text to give was growing and popular. And, you know, we've sometimes struggled with getting um, lower level donors or um, volunteers to engage in this day. And so we, we thought it was worth trying. And so Classy doesn't have the ability to do text to give. And so Amanda had researched Give Lively, which was incredible and free. And, um, pretty awesome tool for not having a real cost associated with it other than, you know, the credit card fees for processing. Uh, right. And I'll use this opportunity to point out. And the reason why this is so important is because this event is available for free yeah. everywhere. So yeah. the risk you're taking is this event will be happening all day. We'll be putting it out there and hopefully people will donate. You knew they would because you know your community, but, but can you describe on that moment of doubt I would say going into it before any money was secured for this event, there there was that concern or that nervousness and how are we going to pull this off? And pretty early on, we knew we wanted to continue the matching gift concept. Um, and so what we decided was to procure matching gifts for sponsorship dollars, as well as matching gifts for the day of. And typically, we raise between 30 and 40,000 um, for Giving Tuesday. So that's kind of what we thought and estimated, probably a little bit more because we were doing such a much more robust program. And our matching donor is actually 30,000. Um, so that was fantastic. And they were willing to roll it over to this Campathon event. So for us, the the snowball effect that that happened that really, I think, blew us out of the water is that on the sponsorship side, those who were interested in sponsoring, a couple donors in particular, were very gung-ho about matching gifts. Matching okay. gifts from other spon of other sponsors and of individual donors. Correct. Right? Correct. So they were like, rah, 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 let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was incredible as we were having these conversations with donors. Um, you know, they're like, I know there's a matching gift for day of, but is there a matching gift for sponsorship? And at the time, we had already met our initial $50,000 sponsorship. And then we got another 50. So we'd already matched a hundred grand. So you're saying you address the risk of not raising anything on with this video by, and this is a best practice, procuring gifts before the event. Yeah. Right. Like that is, that is the way to take an event from a $5,000 fundraiser to a 50 to a $100,000 fundraiser. Can you talk about those conversations and how you're having those conversations with your sponsors? And are you going back 
to previous sponsors? Or are you reaching out to any new people in, in this time? So for the first two matches, they were prior gifts. And one of them actually came in the summer. And as we were planning this, that was our ask of them. When this event is more firmed up and we have a full idea of what it's going to be, can we use your gift as a match? They were a corporate partner that we also wanted to recognize in this fashion to give them some recognition and, and steward them. So that was fantastic. The, the other was a board member who had given the gift a little bit before Campathon and we said, hey, matching gifts are really you know, a unique incentive right now. We have this Campathon event. Can we use it for that? And that board member was on board as well. So as this is going on, I'm also having phone calls and conversations with other major donors um, that typically give at the end of the year. Um, what had come about is that, um, you know, they had additional funds in which they wanted to give us this year. And so in talking through the different options and the, you know, different ways in which um, they could support programming, they also said, and if you are interested, you're welcome to use our gift as a match. And so they beat me to the punch in terms of kind of broaching that conversation. Um, and so, you know, within, I think, a day and a half, I put together a proposal and sent it off to them. And later that evening, they replied with yes and approval and, you know, that it could be used as a matching gift for Campathon. So this was happening simultaneously to a prospective sponsor being interested and navigating on their own how much they'd be able to give this year and to support this event. And so as this donor was sharing, can it be matched? Can it be matched? I was simultaneously, um, you know, ensuring that we could offer this additional $100,000 as a match. I'm imagining so, you on two telephones, like, hold on one second, can this be matched? Was, but that's how it happens. That's really interesting to see that one donor asks you a question and what they're signaling to you is like, this is a way to make more my gift more meaningful. And so then you're like, let me see if I can make that happen. And so you're able to go back to other donors and if you say okay to this, we can inspire this donation over here. Did you at this point reach out to people that you weren't already in conversations with? Did you do any of that outreach, which I would call warm outreach? You know, so they don't know about the event. They're not in conversation with you right now. Yeah, so that's kind of how we then shifted. Aside from our board, that's how we kind of shifted to this focus on the continuity of the sponsors from Harvest Moon. So they were our... Um, priority supporters to go to and speak to the fact that because of COVID and having to pivot, you know, we were so grateful for their support of Harvest Moon and we have something new and special coming this year. You know, I think it was also very important because it was new to everyone to be clear and succinct as to what the event was. Sometimes it was a challenge trying to describe the 24-hour campaign and then saying, you're really going to be showing video and content for 24 hours. Um, and so what I personally did with my outreach to major donors was really focused on what we called the closing campfire, which was the longest portion in the closing of the event. Um, and so that was at seven o'clock. Um, and so in communicating with major donors, like that was the crux of the show, the recognition that I really wanted them to focus on. 
um, and understand what was going to be presented and how it was going to be pushed out. You didn't want them to feel like they needed to commit to being content creators for 24 hours. You're going to focus them on basically the big end of the thing, fireworks. I know finale. And I think we were also trying to be mindful of their schedules and the busyness of being in this pandemic and having kids and school because it was a Tuesday. It was a weekday, which I think was also concerning to us. Other events had been on weekends. By honing in on that kind of 7 p.m. closing period, it, it was this finite period of time that we hoped to get their undivided attention. Again, reaching out to all the past Harvest Moon sponsors um, and explaining and sharing, you know, who the celebrity guests were going to be, you know, what performances were going to be involved, because that was an element in which I'm guessing and I probably know was intriguing to them about Harvest Moon, you know, was not only being at camp and getting a taste for what we do, but also the performances and the celebrities that they were going to get to see. So, you know, in, in talking with donors, it also didn't end up being really about that. They really wanted to support our programs and they knew how challenging of a year it must have been. Um, many of them were very impressed with our prior communication beforehand, showing videos of what virtual programming looked like, us piloting virtual visitor days. And I think um, that proved to be very helpful um, in terms of their commitment to what we were trying to accomplish. So you're approaching sponsors that sponsored your inaugural Harvest Moon, which was in 2018. And you thought we're going to do this every year for the next 10 years. Then the world was like, man, I don't think so. But you're coming back to them and you were not saying, look, I know that was great, but we had to change it this year. You said we have something new and special. And I think that's a really important distinction in asking for those Yes, you're coming at it from just a little bit of a different point of view. I think anything camp related, we always want to put it out there. I mean, it's positive and it's something fun. And and I think that was our our take on it of, you know, everyone's already aware of what's going on. So how can we present this in the most positive light and give it, you know, so you're not also thinking about like, oh, what could have been right now? But, oh, you know, maybe I'm missing camp, but here's this great opportunity that someone just told me about. So it was definitely... It, it was really successful doing it that way. And I think it just got people excited and on board from the start. Um, before the event started, how much was committed? Quite a bit. Um, so we had about 375000 in sponsorship that was committed. And a smaller component of what we were doing simultaneously, um, Sam, our development coordinator, was putting together like a peer-to-peer -peer fundraising component. So we were reaching out to ambassadors or champions to create their own fundraising pages, to share the story, to share on social, reach out to their family, friends, and colleagues to fundraise money. So um, that was another component, you know, that was happening. So going in, like you said, with that much in sponsorship raise, um, I think it truly boosted our confidence. And yeah, I mean, it was more than 10 <laughs> times you had raised the year before. So yeah, I would imagine that boosted confidence. And so, you know, the real focus was giving Amanda and communications the space to fine tune everything because, you know, we had plenty of content from prior years and summers, and we had two new videos that were just finished by outside people that we use, the new general camp video, the new outpost video. We had past galas 
that we had performances recorded so we could incorporate those. And I, Amanda, you know, jump in. It was like Tetris trying to position and figure out what works and how do we transition different things to really tug at the heartstrings. So this is taking all the content that you have and then just making it into the vision that you had of a 24-hour campathon. Yes. I want you to share your robust communications plan leading up to Giving Tuesday. And then we're going to talk about what happened on that day. Amanda, you being in charge of all the lists and sweating through constant contact and the MailChimp. And is this you? It was certainly um, a team effort. Our coworker, Beth, was great and sent up a communications timeline. Um, so the wonderful Beth had created a communications timeline early on so we could have these dead mothers of it. And we kind of worked backwards from even Tuesday in creating that and saying the morning of we want an email to go out and then we'll have another reminder for the big closing campfire that's happening. Okay, how many days before that do we want to have another reminder? So working backwards, I think so smart. It, it helps us a lot in a lot of different planning that we do. And I think that it's so helpful to do too. I think it's harder sometimes to go forward because you can have a guess of what how much time you need. And then once you start putting it on a calendar, you go, oh my gosh, I need two more weeks still to have to backtrack it all. And so that was laid out, which was really nice. And that was helpful to have those internal timelines to know what our goals were or communicating it to the public as alongside, you know, our internal timeline of video production and sponsorships and peer-to-peer pages and all of that. And so having these working timelines going at the same time really helped. It was a good visual to keep everyone on track. So talk me through um, when you started messaging about this event and then the journey you took somebody on. I hear you loud and clear about like a day of reminder and then reminders about like the big events. So you're not pummeling people on the day of, but you had a pretty robust um, communication schedule leading up to that. So can you walk me through that in a broad way? Sure. Uh, So Beth is our annual giving manager. And I'll say, you know, to Amanda's credit, she started this massive Google document for all of us. And there had to have been over 20 tabs on this document that included sponsorship, offline gifts, run of show, all sorts of things. So one of them was a communications timeline. And so again, with communications being so busy, Beth kind of charted everything out, not just email. Um, It was accompanied with social media posts that we would do. Um, It accompanied personal outreach that we would do to the committed sponsors, to board. So Chris, our CEO, would communicate and remind the board separate from each of these different things. So it's essentially a document full of... um, I think it was seven emails in total from the save the date that went out about a week before to one thing we played with in MailChimp is an RSVP function where they could click and through the action of RSVPing, us having a sense of how many people would be watching, but also, you know, when you commit to something and you share with others, it's more likely that they'll actually follow through. So we did the RSVP link and we provided the calendar reminder option so that it could push to their calendar. Um, And then what we did is each of the emails or each time we posted, we didn't want to just post just a post. We wanted to announce something. So we used each of those to announce a different celebrity um, or celebrity duo that was going to be featured and what they were going to be talking or sharing about. It wasn't just 
seven emails about yes. just don't forget, don't forget this, don't forget this. It was new information in each one. Correct. And we definitely scrapped some messages or combined some messages as things transpired um, based on, you know, information we had already shared, you know, getting the right headshots for the celebrities and, you know, different things. So we definitely had to be agile um, in terms of, you know, even though we might have had a game plan for eight emails that we we wanted to to streamline it and also certain points felt like this is too much. And so we adjusted. Um, so all of the emails were usually supported with a social media post, um, you know, about those different components. Social, we did a bit more often. So like after a segment would air, we would then kind of highlight it again, allow people to share and view without having to watch and stream it live. What went kind of alongside that was the actual landing page for Campathon um, and updating talent, who was going to be on next, the timeline that Amanda meticulously kept track of and what was going to happen as well as every time a video aired on our landing page of our website, we created essentially a library. So every time a video was done airing, we added it so people could go back and watch at any time. Those were kind of the different components of email, social, and the landing page itself um, and how we tackled that. That's amazing. Okay, so Giving Tuesday ends. How much did you raise? We raised just over $475,000. How many individual donors did you have? I'm counting just over 330 individual donors. And how does that compare with like the amount of individual donors and the amount raised from past Giving Tuesday? So in the past Giving Tuesdays, the last Giving Tuesday, we had 150 donors. So we more than doubled. And again, we raised between 30 and 35,000 the prior Giving Tuesday as well. So tripled and doubled. Yeah. Wow. Guys, congratulations. Um, if you yeah. can share, if you want to share, um, Alexis, uh, how much did you spend making this happen? Aside from raising what we raised, I think our second proudest element of this event is how few expenses we had. We were just over $4,000 in total. We did outsource some of our editing. So we hired an outside person to do some video editing for us. We did do watch party kits for the sponsors. So again, nothing too expensive. I believe they were less than $100 per sponsor in terms of the value, but it had like a camp blanket. It had our camp songbook um, for the higher level donors, a bottle of wine, s'more kits. So it was very campy and very, you know, within our painted turtle um, kind of vibe. As Amanda spoke to and Give Lively was free, the technology portions were yeah. pretty. I mean, Restream's probably a hundred bucks or something, yeah. right? Restream, we even have an add-on um, to have that scheduler to help us. Yeah, still yeah. something $130. And it was nice. It was a monthly charge too. So we're not like committing to, you know, it was the first time of bed, like we don't want to commit to too much right away. And yeah. I mean, yeah, our expenses to come out less than 1% of the revenue were very and how many kids get services from that amount like how many kids are impacted from that dollar amount close to 600 amazing um will you do this again we definitely want to it is on our agenda and looking ahead to future events coming up but it was there was so much success that came from it and so many 
different aspects. So many that we have talked about, you know, little expenses being one and also including so many different members of our community at the same time. And even internally, you know, being able to bring staff from different perspectives too, because everyone was working virtually in a different matter. It was just such, um, I think an event that both internally and externally people walked away from just feeling camp again. And that's what's so important to us in, in raising funds is getting the message of camp out there. And I think we were extremely lucky and successful in doing that. That is, I mean, that's half the battle there is getting the story across. So I think we found a way to, to do that and successfully. So we definitely want to continue with it. Well said. We have a request for you, dear listeners. I'm hoping that if you enjoy how we run, that you will go and leave a review for us. Your review allows others to find us. And that's a good thing because the more people that listen, the more impact we can have on the sector and that we can bring about positive change for, for other nonprofits that are out there. So if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a review. If you want to be a guest on the show, you think you have a good story and you want to share, you can email us at info at goodwaysinc.com. And so we will see you in a week. Can't wait.